Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Brother, we are back after a little layoff. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Yeah, buddy, it's been a little bit of time here, but we're back at it here on a Wednesday night doing what we do. Uh, We got uh, a lot of topics tonight. A lot of stuff to cover. We spoke last week on Monday, and we basically said, "Ah, we don't have enough to go this week, maybe 30 minutes. Let's skip. And it's like the college football god said, oh, really, guys? Here's a bunch of crap. Yeah, well, some content. We got some content for you. We got got some hokey stuff. We got some hokey adjacent stuff. We got some national stuff. Here you go. It's everything, and it's everywhere. And, you know, we haven't been here in a few weeks, but for the next three weeks, you're going to see us back-to-back-to-back weeks. Then we're going to take a little break before the season and before the camp starts. But, you know, your boys, we got to have a little vacation time. Brian had a wedding to go to. We've been doing the normal fun summertime stuff here. Um, you know, it kind of is what it is. Everything between the pool and cocktails and cookouts. Fireworks. Yeah, trip trip to trip to New York for a wedding. Uh had another wedding thrown in there. Been uh been down to the beach a couple times. Uh not not anywhere far away, just uh just Virginia Beach with the in-laws. So but it's been a good time. It's been uh it's been a fun summer so far. We got through the fourth, had a good time. Saw a little fireworks, uh, you know, d- didn't uh d- didn't uh blow blow a finger off or anything. So I think we're we're doing all right. He should just say he didn't JPP it. <laughs> I did not JPP it. I, oh, I'm, I'm not going to roll in here missing digits. I think I'm good. <laughs> but let's get to it, Brian. We have so much to cover. Let's hit a couple quick headlines before we hit into the deep topics of the night. Let's start with this. Announced just a few weeks ago, Pete Morris is essentially no longer the assistant AD. He has moved to Northern Iowa and is now the director of university relations. I have not seen any announcement as of this time who his replacement is. If somebody has, let us know. Um, I heard it was an upturned mop with a bucket for a head. Oh, and he's doing a great job so far. Oh, well, let's just say this. We, <laughs> we clearly know that over the last about six months, seven months, Pete Something was like not that. in charge of the hokey football Twitter account. Yeah, they, they took they took away his passwords. He, he was no longer uh, they, sending they, the tweets, and and they, you could tell it. It was obvious. Yes, um, we had because dude tweeted the same from the hokey account like he did from his personal account. Man, only yeah. thing missing is he didn't tweet some like weird ass steak that he was he was eating that night. He was eating in. But the, but the bigger piece is finally we noticed after that time it looks like they had given it to someone potentially a, a student. You can tell by the way it's tweeted. It's not your you have some set time stuff, but it's not everything set timed. It's some yeah. random stuff out there, some fun stuff. Graphics department always doing an awesome job. So Pete's going. I'm going to be interested to see because I feel like this is going to be one of those Brent Pryor hires you kind of know about because this is essentially going to be his media guy. So interesting. I'm assuming he's going to come from Penn State at some point. <laughs> Penn but, State or some other stop that he's had along the way. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's hit this real quick, a little national news. It's not official yet, but it looks like there's been recommendations for transfer portal windows. 
Um, it used to basically just be a free-for-all for nine months from basically August 1 to May 1. And that's just dumb. You have kids trans, you know, getting in the portal in season. Um, but now they're looking at potentially two windows, essentially the way it's shaping up, one after second national signing day and then one after spring ball for a couple weeks. Um, I will say I like this because, A, it – to me it helps these students out because they need to commit to where they're going to be at for the semester. Cause how many kids are out there right now without a place to go? It's yeah. It, yeah. it's sad because there are so many kids that do not have a home. And, um, and some you know, kids, I think it's going to help having them, you know, if it's one of those in season situations, you know, if the situation isn't favorable, hey, you, you stick it out for the rest of the season, you might get some extra tape that's going to benefit exactly you know, where your next stop is. So, But then also with the whole idea of the spring ball thing is if you go through spring practice to where you are, right? Yep. Go to spring practice where you are. Again, more additional tape. You know there's tape going on every day inside these programs. And if you like you're not the fit, again, there's more info to get out to your – potential next school. I also like having it after national signing day, the second one, which should be the only one, but that's neither here nor there because at least at that point in time for the coaching staffs, now we go away from the student athlete. They know where they sit at, right? They know exactly where they sit at. And as kids start going, they can start preparing for the next recruiting cycle versus the way it is now. You know, you could be sitting there and it's like, okay, boom, dropping the hammer in the middle of the season. It's like, okay, we didn't account for this. So I think the winners are a good idea. Of course, they're punting on it because what else does the NCAA do? They can't make decisions to save their life. Um, So, you know. The NCAA having a good idea put on their plate and then talking about it and then punting. I've never heard that story before in my life. Oh, wait, that's every situation that we've been dealing with the past 15, 20 years. And it's probably why the situation we're going to talk about a little later here has happened. And eventually, as I think, I want to say maybe Josh Pate put it out there. For those who hate the NCAA, what happened kind of could be the beginning of the end. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk about the windows a little bit more real quick before we move on. Um, You know, we talked, you talked about the window after the, uh, the, the second signing day. I'm a bigger fan of maybe having it after the first signing day. Okay. Only because if you're looking to get enrolled at a new school, get in the winter workouts with that new school, the timing works better like mid-December through early January versus a little bit later in January and then right. February. And and that makes sense too. Either way, you've got to have a time limit on it. You can't just have a free for all like it's been. But again, it's something the NCAA didn't want to govern, as usual, still not governing at the moment. So hopefully, it gets worked out one way or the other by someone or the other. Real quick, kick to basketball. Yvonne Luma did not get drafted, but he has you know signed on with the Grizz. I think me and you were to the point he made the right decision. You know, obviously now he's got a free agent contract, and regardless what workouts he what works out in the NBA, the hope is he can make a roster and stay in the league ten years. Yeah, but I think now because he's getting that pub at the NBA level, I think if he cannot 
get on with anyone in the league, he's going to have a 10 or 12 year career somewhere overseas, whether it's Germany, Italy, Spain, France, some of those, you know, good second tier leagues yep. and have a very healthy living like several Hokies have over the last decade. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely going to be a guy that can tear up uh, one of the, one of the European leagues, um, you know, whether he can catch on and, find a bench role or a role player role with, uh, with an NBA team is, is to be seen, but you know, I, I definitely think he's gonna, he's, he's got professional, um, career ahead of him for the next yeah. five to 10 years, uh, regardless of whether that's here or somewhere overseas. Yep. So best of luck to Aluma in the future and Brian, we, we've hit it. We're about to hit one of our three big topics tonight. Um, we're going to look at recruiting because, boy, oh, boy, has the last week been pretty crazy for the Hokies as the Hokies landed six commits, um, you know, since roughly the end of last week. Yep. Currently, per 247, ranked 35th with, <clears throat> with 15 total commits. Remember, this is no limit this year, so I think we're halfway there. I think we'll see, I think, at least 10 more, probably 15 more. Are Bon Jovi um, in this shit? What? We're living on a prayer? We're halfway there? We're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ranked 35th in the overall and the composite, um, kind of where we said we should be. We won't top 30. I think we can live with 35. But let's talk about these kids, Brian, take a look at them each. Let's start with the first commit here. Uh, you know, we talked about you got to look at the small schools. You cannot, you know, overlook like places where we grew up and they didn't overlook. And it's Tavorian Copeland out of Appomattox County, not too far from where we grew up. He's yep. a linebacker prospect for 247, 6'4, 193 pounds. He is the 19th ranked player in the state of Virginia. He is a three star 87 per 247. And, you know, his offer list, um, he's definitely a smart kid with offers from Penn, Princeton, and uh, Dartmouth. But essentially it came down really to UVA and Tech. He chose Tech. So just kind of taking a look at him, Brian, what are you projecting for Copeland? Uh, He's kind of that uh, guy I could see probably going to start in that Sam role but could potentially move over to Will. depending on how much he's able to, to put on weight wise and, and, and play against the run. Um, but I like his build out the gate. That six, four frame uh, can definitely, you know, take a little bit more size. So get him in the weight room, uh, get a little bit more weight on him and see what he can do, but runs pretty well. Um, I like his athleticism. Um, we'll, we'll see if he can hold up at Sam, but if, if he's not at Sam, I could see him sliding over to will at some point. Um. You know, do you? I mean, I think he's one of those guys that's probably when he steps on campus is a three year project. Appomattox is a very small, I can't remember if they're 2A or 1A. 2A? I think 2A. 2A. So he's coming from a smaller school. He probably is the best athlete on the field every time he plays. Yeah. In which sometimes that hurts, but sometimes that helps. You know, it's it's one of those coin flips. Some guys get it and they can't they can't deal with it. Some guys get it and they strive to be what they were before. So you're projecting him at a linebacker position. Um, his primary recruiters, Joe Rudolph and Chris Marr. I think 
you know, we saw Rudolph. We know he went through glass. He was down on south side. So, clearly, he's kind of found his neck of the woods there. And, uh, for sure. For sure. So awesome. Good land there. Now, the next one, you know, that we went out of state on. But it's still within the footprint by maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and obviously, a connection to Brent Pry at Penn State. And Pry's listed as his primary recruiter with Marr being a secondary. And that's Asen Stevens out of Decatur Central in Indianapolis. 6'4", 210-pound linebacker. A top 10 player in the state of Indiana. Three-star 87. And, you know, offers from Iowa State, Purdue. And, you know, it looks like Cincinnati had some interest from some other Big Ten schools like Nebraska and Minnesota. So definitely real deal prospect, obviously, with Tommy Stevens' brother being, you know, also a Division One player, football's in his blood. Brian, where are you projecting Stevens? And, you know, how far do you think he has to come? Uh, he doesn't have to come as far as Copeland. I'm projecting him at a uh, at Mike. Um, I think just based on his speed, he's probably he doesn't have enough quickness to to be outside, uh, whether it will or it's Sam. I think he's definitely going to end up at Mike. Um, but I like I like his instincts. I like his technique. Um, he's somebody that, depending on what happens, um, you know, with uh, after this season, I could see him having the impact probably in his second year on campus. So I mean he's he's he could be the real deal. Um not necessarily an elite player at the position, but somebody solid that can hold that down um as we kind of transition from you know one regime to the next. Um to me it was super interesting to see that prowess is primary. And that might have been maybe he was the primary when he was at Penn State, and it's just one of those things that can carry over because very rarely do you see a head coach be a primary on a guy. So you kind of wonder, is this his linebacker, his prototypical Mike linebacker with just enough speed to go ahead? Just, just enough speed to go, you know, sideline to sideline and, uh, and and get there. He's not somebody that's going to, you know, cover a slot receiver one-on-one. You don't, you don't want that matchup a lot of the game, but he's a guy that can hang in there and, and get the job done. And as you said, I think, you know, Pry was probably his primary at Penn State. They already had a relationship established. He kept that going, brought Marv in since Marv was going to be um, his position coach and his coordinator and kind of let the rest take care of itself. But I think you know, of the the linebacking pickups that we had, this is probably my favorite because I think it's a it's a really good fit for Pry's system, especially if you know he's able to stick at the mic position. Yeah. Now, he, he does play also quarterback, and I know there was the joke from his brother about possibly getting some time in the room with Tyler Bowen. I don't foresee that. But it's always, you know, it's always good to know having a linebacker who played that position because there is a lot of the mental parts to understand if you're playing. How many times do we always hear it? Brian, go back to your favorite team with Peyton Manning when they played the Ravens. How many matchups was it between – Manning and Lewis making the calls, yep. making the adjustments, making the second one. So yep. definitely like having that background with him. Yeah, it's right. definitely a chess match there. So if you can get somebody that can handle that part of it and kind of see things as they're happening and pick it up, make the adjustments, get everybody where they need to be, get the alignment right, that's what you need. Absolutely. All right. 
But we weren't done yet. <laughs> that's a, that's an understatement. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're just getting halfway there now. And the next was Caleb Woodson at a battlefield up in Haymarket, rated as a safety, 6'3", 200 pounds, number thirty-one player in the state of Virginia, three-star in '86, held some offers and some interest from Florida State, Wake, and Virginia. Um, Brian, you immediately told me the second we talked about him, he's not going to play safety in this system. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to end up at Sam. I think he could play safety. Uh, there's potential there. Uh, but I think speed is probably his biggest weakness, top end speed. Uh, I think we can get him at Sam and because he does tackle well, he does have really good instincts. I think Sam is going to be where, where he ends up long-term and I think he can really thrive in that position. Um, also good to see here, you know, Battlefield Haymarket. That's up in Northern Virginia, right? Right. Yeah. Am I losing my mind? So that's you kind of not. the, you know, that's kind of one of your first Northern Virginia wins there. Again, it's it's anything we see in Virginia now. Do we want four stars? Do we want five stars from Virginia? Yes. But it's something we've said since day one. It's you have to lay the foundation. You yeah. have to make the relationships and taking players who, you know, are, you know, ranked in the top thousand and ranked in the top 30 in the state. That's what you do. You you find the players that fit your system. And what you hope is it's the benefits later, right? Yeah. It's treating Caleb Woodson and his family and the coaching staff at Battlefield, right? If they have a four-star stud in two or three years, he knows the relationship. He knows how the staff treats people. Yeah, that's going to be the big thing. We're, we're laying the foundation again. We're getting uh, back into those big schools that produce consistent Division One talent within the state, and we're getting those relationships back. Uh, we had gotten away from that. We had we had gotten to a point where if it wasn't, you know, a, a, a relationship that was already there. It was they were finding it hard to get some some headway of some of these uh, key recruits in the state. This is laying the foundation, and the guy we're going to talk about next is is another big part of laying that foundation at at primary schools. Absolutely, but before we jump to him, we got a couple of folks that are already hitting us up in the chat tonight. Brian, let's throw those up here. Obviously, Dwight, always we appreciate you listening, brother. Talking about Battlefield's a great program, and he can play, and he is a tech guy. Love to hear that from Dwight. And, again, it's making the inroads in Battlefield. And there's one more in there, Brian, talking about Ace and Stevens, our coach, Robbie Compton, our buddy, talking about Mike in this system is as close as a QB can be on the D. So we hear that about Stevens. Again, it, it's good feelings. But, Brian, the next one that happened, I, I think it hit. It, watching the video gave chills. Seeing that one picture with his dad's name, the reflection, the picture of dad in the background when Braylon Johnson out of Highland Springs, three-star, when he committed, it it felt like one of your own was coming home. And it was one of those – I don't think I ever had a time since he started his recruiting that he wasn't going to come. I think he knows the importance of it. I think he knows how big a player his dad was in the building of the foundation back in the 90s. I think he understands how important a player he is right now and his high school is to the rebuilding of the Tech program. 
Yeah, this is a big pickup on, on several fronts. Number one, he's a good player. Um, that's that's first and foremost. But number two, what it means to get a legacy player from a program like Highland Springs, son of a great coach, and 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 that's not hyperbole in the slightest, a great, great coach and, and, and great former Hokie. So I mean, th- this is this is what it's all about. And watching the the uh, the commit video, uh, obviously both of us, you know, in, in, in the eight hundred four area. I mean, it was it, it was special, you know, watching Hokie highlights, watching cut ups from from his uh, his area of the city. I mean, it was it was special across the board. Yes, it was super special. Now let's talk about the the football player now because you know, you know. He's Lauren Johnson's kid. Everybody knows that. But when you look at the tape, he's 6'1", 170 pounds. They're projecting him at safety. Is he staying at safety? Is he a corner? Where do, where do you think they're going to try to uh, fit him in? I think he probably stays at safety. I think he could be free safety in, in this system. Um, he might end up sliding over to corner. Um, a lot of times, though, you know, guys start at corner and get moved to safety. So I don't know if that's the path, if he's going to – come in and you know go through a a spring or a fall with uh with cheetah and then slide over with pearson after that we'll, we'll see but i think ultimately he's going to end up playing safety for us um i like to hear that you know just just one of those just one of those things that make you feel good one of the guys who was the original dbu son hopefully bring it back to prominence again and i think again in the state the highland springs inroad were made at the end of the Fuente era, really driven hard home by JC. I really do believe that. I really do believe JC and Daryl and a couple of the other guys really drove it home. And I think this program or this current program really knows the focus of it. They know the focus of it. And it's awesome to see. So, you know, I'm, I'm just glad he's committed. Again, if you have not watched the video, go watch it. Especially if you're from here in Richmond, it'll it'll it should make you feel some chills. All right, Brian, let's talk about some speed next. Let's talk about out of the eastern part of North Carolina, Southern Nash is on Traylon Mitchell, 6'2", 185, classified as an athlete. Um, I think we are on his only division or his only P five offer. Um, East Carolina App State, some other folks that had a look at him here. 26th player in the state of North Carolina, but, you know, we hear speed, and then you hear 10.300 meters. That's fast. Yeah, he's a burner. He's a burner. Um, And, (laughs) yeah, he's he's fast. And I'll tell you what, I like, he's fast, but I see 6'2", I see 185. Mm -hmm. So he's fast, but he's not like, small fast he's he's got a little bit of size to him and i think that's going to end up having him somewhere on that wide receiver uh position and i like that for him i I think initially at the gate he's probably going to be a special teams contributor but i think long term you can see him um you know making some noise even as just a a, you know primary you know one-dimensional threat as a wide receiver um you can see him making some plays that way Where's the tape at on him? What's it showing him doing, you know, down at Southern Nash that you've seen? You know, he does a, a little bit of everything for them, but, um, you know, 
they had him lined up a lot of different places on the field um, okay. on both sides of the ball. Um, but I, like I said, I think primarily he's going to be a wide out for us um, just based on his frame, his speed and what he can do um, with the football. Yeah. Primary recruiter was Stu Holt. Secondary was Tyler Bowen. Um, me and you talked about this with our buddy Robbie and some other folks as well. Stu Holt was brought in. Him and Derek Jones were brought in to sort of handle North Carolina. Stu's dad was a coach down there, won some, won a lot, a lot of connections. And, you know, when you when you hear athlete and then I hear what you talk about, like he's everywhere, backfield, all over the line, playing defense. Again, I don't feel like we were doing that as much in the last era. Sometimes it's just go find the best athlete on the field. You bring him in. You figure out where he plays the best at collegiate football, and then you let him do it. We saw that how many times in the Beamer era, and it worked out a lot. Yep. So, you know, sometimes we, we, we can – don't try to be he is a running back. Like, no, he is a football player. Figure out if running back is his best position. Yeah, and Price talked about it in several of his press conferences. All right, you know, we'll get you on campus. We know you're a player. We like how you you go about your business. We'll figure out where you can best we can best maximize your abilities to, for your success and for our success. And I think that's one of the type of players that that we're trying to get on campus. And another one is the the next guy we're going to talk about here in just a couple minutes. Absolutely, a- another athlete out of the state of South Carolina, a top 10 player in the state of South Carolina, a three-star. I had some interest from West Virginia and Penn State. And Thomas Williams, five foot 10, 180 pounds, out of Powdersville. Um, tell me, just out of Greenville area, what's the tape saying on him? I mean, corner, running back, you know, is he another defensive back? The Cheetah was his primary uh Receiver. Yeah, I could see him being a corner. I could see him uh, lining up at running back. He's got, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to compare him to to Macho Harris, but he's got some of the same type of build and same type of qualities. Not quite as elite level um, as as Macho, obviously, but he's got some of those same type of traits. Um, and I think I I could see him at running back. I could see him out there at corner. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see if he can develop into into a starter at those positions. But He's got talent. He's got some 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 good wiggle at the running back position. Um, he's able to break away when he gets in the open field. They used him a lot on some some screens and uh, things out of the back backfield, things outside of the box. So um, you know he's able to do those things as well. So it might be you know if if he ends up running back, maybe more of a more of a chance black Raheem Blackshear type type model, I think probably less less of a receiver than than those two, but still very capable. Awesome. Anytime you hear a name Macho Harris, it's tough to live up to that, but it's awesome to hear the qualities. Again, he's an athlete. I just said it. Get the athletes in the door, figure out their best place to play. Also like going down to South Carolina, getting a top 10 player. There's yep. just certain states, if you can get a top 10 player in, you feel good about it. And, you know, but let's let's just talk overall about the last week. Really, it was six for seven of the people we knew were announcing, and the seventh, it had it had been the ups and downs, ups and downs, was you know behind the scenes or you know they didn't know what he was going to do. He eventually chose elsewhere. But 
you know, there's no big like crown jewel in this, with the exception of Braylon, because of who he is. But there's yep. no top hundred player or anything. But what does it go when you go on a streak like that when you get six good players? They aren't scraping the they're all about 86, 87. Probably a few of them could get bumped higher this year, but what does that mean to you in your head when you hear this was a run, good players, different areas of the country, you know, athletic and overall just good football players? Yeah, I mean, Mitchell aside, these are all like mid to high three-star players. These are your your typical, you know, year two, year three contributors um, coming in. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to see maybe even a little bit higher than that for a couple of these guys, depending on, you know, some of these areas where we have depth concerns. Um, but I think it's a, it's a good solid run. It gives you momentum on the trail. It gives you something to talk to other recruits about. And I think that's big. When you got guys in the boat, it's it's a little bit easier sell than when you're trying to sell um, sell something that, you know, other people haven't bought into yet. And we, we know that the, the, the guys on that roster have bought in, but we, we still have to get that buy-in from the guys that are coming here for their future. And that's still to be determined, and it's nice when you get a run like this, especially from a, a couple key areas in your state, along with, uh, you know, some good grabs uh, in the, the outer reaches of your footprint. It gives you momentum on the trail, and it gives you something else to sell. Gives you something else to sell. Get your get your name on lips, especially in the state of North Carolina and South Carolina. That when it's discussed that this player here went to Virginia Tech from this state. Yeah, I really look at Thomas Williams with that top ten player in South Carolina leaving South Carolina. I mean, it, it looks like he was was not recruited by those down there. But 247 puts him as a top 10. Like we've always said, trust 247. He's lowered really by the composite rankings elsewhere because if if everybody had him there, he'd be a significantly higher in the composite. But it's it's getting those good vibes. And as those kids, as we talked about and Dwight mentioned about Battlefield, getting the good relationship building when you have that stud and the coaches – at your school and the families inside your school and the teachers can speak to who these people are and where you're going. It's so key because you see it all the time and we've seen them with the social media blitzes and you just hear stories from the camps, real deal coaching staff here that this isn't a nine to five for them that I think these guys eat and breathe, sleep it all the time. Yep. Yep. And you can tell the seriousness that they go about their business. Yes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if that turns into the recruiting wins that we need and the wins on the field that we need. But uh, we're definitely going about our business a lot better than we've seen in the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, nine years. <laughs> Ooh, de- oh, de- definitely throughout the, the, the majority of the, of the Fuente era. So we, we can definitely attest to that. Um, we can, we can tell that, that we're putting the effort in and, and we're seeing, we're starting to see some results. We're starting to see that payoff some, um, I'm hoping that we, we get some more bigger wins as we kind of close out, um, you know, the back half of this cycle that, that that's going to be important. Left. Yeah, we got, we got a lot more left. <laughs> we got a lot more left. We got, we got about, you know, we're, we're, we're a little over halfway through right now. We're, uh, 
Um, but we need to keep pressing forward and, and keep looking for areas where we can gain some ground. But I feel like we're building the right foundation. I just want to see maybe one or two home runs as we're, we're hitting these singles and doubles on the, on the trail. All right here. Well, Brian, so we went to bed a week ago and, you know, college football seemed normal, right? Yeah. All conferences intact, you know, we're looking <laughs> at a big recruiting week, you know, camps are, you know, the, the dead period's coming on. Obviously, the coaches are probably wrapping evaluations, probably about to take their two-week vacation before they get ramped up for camp. And all of a sudden, on the 30th, it dropped. That USC and UCLA would be moving to the Big Ten. Yep. Let me go ahead before I give mine. Give me your initial reaction because I'm sure your phone blew up. I'm sure your Twitter notifications and other notifications went Like, what the hell? It's July 30th. Yeah, it was blowing up. It was blowing up. My initial reaction were, is this the domino? Because I think we've been kind of flirting with that. What What's the domino that's going to really throw complete and utter turmoil into what we know of college, of as college football, right? Um, you know, we saw – we thought it might be something that when Texas and Oklahoma made the SEC move, was it going to be an immediate um, domino effect there? Uh, and as soon as I saw Love this it. news, I was like, is this is this the one where, where they're all going to topple or is this more of a just the Big Ten is getting into, you know, one of the three best media markets in the country um, and these two schools are trying to reap the benefit of Big Ten media money? Yeah. Well, my initial I, and and, and it's still too early. It's still too early to, yeah. to tell at this point. But I mean, I think that that's where I was at, at the gate. Is that is this is this the domino that's going to lead to a, a a brand new era of college football, the new order of college football, and it, it, it's looking like very well it could be because I think now we're at the dawn of the super conferences, and my first thing was it was a little bit of shock to say. A, that is a long travel. That is two teams who are used to nice weather football going to places basically after mid-October. There is no nice weather football. No. Anywhere in the Big Ten. Anywhere. So that sort of, you know, little shock. But it's like now you have – you look at the SEC and you look at the Big Ten, they're at 16. They're at 16 – the SEC roughly stretches from the coast of South Carolina into the plains of Oklahoma. And now the Big Ten is stretching literally from New York to L.A. And, you know, we, we sit here and th- the question is, how much more movement's coming? A, how much more movement is coming quick? Because I think the one reason this move was made was because the Pac-10 or Pac-12's media rights are up in basically 2023. And obviously it was announced they're going to the table and are trying to negotiate a deal. Um, But how much more movement could we see? You know, there are reports that the Big Ten doesn't want UW or Oregon and the Big 12 is trying to convince Pac-12 teams to come. 
The ACC is not saying a damn word, which scares the shit out of me. You have tech fans left and right screaming, we need to bleep and get on it, whip, make phone calls. Don't fuck us. Yeah. And and all of that is right, right? Like right now, we, no one knows where where we're heading. And if I'm if I'm with Babcock, I'm 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 game theorying the shit out of this thing. Yes, I, I'm I'm calling the Big Ten. I'm calling the SEC, but I'm also calling the and ACC Phillips. office and get on the horn with Phillips. And I'm saying you need to add some teams and get get us some better media rights on this deal Mm -hmm. so we have a little bit more firewall if this is going to carry forward. But I'm definitely hedging. I'm definitely seeing if if the ACC ends up getting blown up, if we start getting poached, you know, two, three big, big teams on the front end. I mean, that that's, I'm looking to get out at that point. Yeah. If if you're losing, if you're losing Miami, you're losing FSU, you're losing Clemson, you're losing the UNC. You need to go ahead and and, and have a, a plan in place because you don't want to be, the, you know, the guy holding the bag at the end. No, you don't. Now, luckily for tech in this sense is, you know, we do have a big footprint in some major media markets. I don't, I don't give a shit what the media says. Well, Maryland's a no. Northern Virginia, D.C., and the southern part of Maryland is not Maryland country. The TV sets, you can turn it on and see Maryland. Ain't no motherfucking body watching Maryland football up there. So for me. That's Davies State. For me, though, if you're the SEC and you want to get into a top 10 market, we're your best bet there. A, if you take a look at the long-term history of the football program, you feel it's going to be competitive. You know we show up for games. We're not going to be – you're not showing us on ESPN on a Saturday night and it's, you know, a half-full stadium. That's not going yep. to happen. So we have some things going for us. It's also that value which our buddy Dr. Jeremy Counts put up today, which I think shocked me and you talking about. This is a little – a few years older, but tech – essentially athletic department being valued at $280 million – which I think as being you look kind of shocked that we're ahead of some people we did not expect to be ahead of. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, our brand has taken a little bit of a hit since those numbers came out. So it's probably not 100% indicative, but it's also not fall off the map either. Um, You know, that had us number three in the conference in terms of valuation. I wouldn't put us any lower than probably five since then. Yeah. Um, you know, may, maybe a, U, a UNC jumps us. Maybe uh, uh, who UNC was the other one that was right? Who was the other one right right below us? Was it Louisville? Yeah. Hold on, let me get that. Try to remember who it was. Well, UNC would have had to make up one hundred twenty million dollars. Yeah, I knew they they were pretty. And it, 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 let's My be honest. I mean, in terms of revenue, Jordan Brand and basketball is where their valuation they is. They they don't really have a brand in football. No, so if, if we're talking football, I mean UNC is UNC. They've got they've got the Jordan brand, they've got basketball, they've got their AAU status. That's going to help them in a Big 10 type negotiation, but I don't think they really carry enough weight in terms of a, a negotiation with the SEC, especially since when you get a Virginia Tech because of of where the alumni are, you're you're getting that 
that Nova, you're you're getting 804 and 757, but you're also getting a lot in the RDU area. You're getting a lot in the Charlotte area. We talked about it earlier. You're getting a lot in the Atlanta area. So we we've got a presence pretty much up, up, you know, down. You know, we talked about it earlier with Robbie throughout the 40 corridor, throughout the 85 corridor. Um, uh, you know, up 95 towards, uh, the DC area. It's really, we, we've got that type of presence and we got that type of brand and travel that I think is going to help us long-term, especially if we're talking SEC versus big 10. The third place team back in, when that thing was coming out, it was Georgia tech at 215 million. Okay. Okay. And they, the- they probably, they probably suffered a, some hits since then as well. They've definitely suffered some hits since then. Um, a couple of the ones we were like ahead of that kind of, you know, shocked me a little, like Kentucky being in the SEC, having a superior, you know, an elite basketball program, being above them, especially since Stoops has been there really elevating their football program. That kind of shocked me a little bit. But let's let, let's let's flip it a little bit here, Brian. Can, can we say who's really driving this? who's really driving why these moves are being made. Because I really don't think Greg Sankey or, or Kevin up at the Big Ten are the guys driving this. It's ESPN and Disney, and it's Fox TV executives. Yep. They are driving this. Because what, what they're, they're, pre- they're presenting, here's, here's what could happen if, if, you, if you scoop up these two markets. Here, here, exactly. Here's what can happen for you. And then that's exactly. presented, and then that's driving everything else. Well, but but what what did I say to you earlier, Brian? If you take USC out of the Pac-12, their negotiations on their next TV deal are going to be significantly lower. Yep. They're going to be higher than what they were 11 years ago, but they're not going to be astronomically higher because you took the biggest brand. Fox and ESPN benefit off that. And Fox and ESPN also benefit off of yeah, you're adding USC, but we're already giving you guys close to fifty million a team. It might be worth, you know, an extra three or four million. It's not worth an extra X amount of dollars. It would be out if the Pac-12 had them. Yeah, yeah, they're coming out better on their end in terms of net between the two TV deals. Yes. Yeah, and you know, you get a conference that gets into another market. Just happens to be one of the largest markets in the country, mm-hmm. which they are already in. You just get to absorb it into your biggest contract instead of having to pay another substantial contract. That's where my mind is. Even the Texas and Oklahoma thing, yep, was ESPN's absorbing this into their biggest contract. Yeah, and you can say, well, Texas and Oklahoma moved the needle. No, they moved the needle for the Big Twelve. They yeah, it's not gonna. It's not gonna bump. The, the, it's not gonna get the same type of bump in the SEC. The it's SEC. not gonna get the same type of bump in the Big Ten. No. So whatever, whatever they're bumping up on the SEC and Big Ten deals, it's getting dropped off yeah. on the other side. So exactly, it's 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 chestnut. They're checkers. making more money off of it, and that's where <laughs> you can really see it driving now. Because the question is, if the Pac-10 or the Pac-12. Um, there you go. ESPN's consolidating debt. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. But if they keep these two conferences alive, which now that's going to be a thing for ESPN to play because content is what drives them, right? If they screw up and kill a conference, <laughs> they're sort of killing themselves. And people say, well, they have the big ones, but you're still 
killing revenue in some yeah. way. Because at, now at this point, are that were they saying we've we built such a monster where we can't show all the games we want to show, but now they they are potentially diluting what product is left mm-hmm. because they might kill a conference and then those games matter less. So, you know, it, it's definitely a risky move, but I you know I think long term it's going to probably be fine for them because I I don't think. I think there's there's another end game that the conferences are playing with this that we'll talk about here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, big end games. Now it came out today the loose agreement between and Brian um, Brian allowed Brian titling this episode loose agreement the loose agreement between discussions between the Pac-12 and the ACC. If you're the Pac-12. And if you're the ACC, do you almost just say F it? Let's let you know, you, your, your brands would be as follows. This would be your top 10 brands. And this isn't, to me, this is not a bad look. Virginia Tech, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Oregon, UW, Stanford, Arizona State. And I, I'm going to give Utah because Utah is what they've done the last five years going to a Rose Bowl. Yeah, I mean they've had they've had waves before too, so that they're not exactly a uh, you know a brand that nobody knows about. But could those ten teams carry a twenty a twenty fourteen conference? Jesus Christ, um, could that carry? Could you just say we're merging? We're going to have an East and West. We're going to have a championship game. We're going to have some cross. We're going to have some cross country rivalries. Could it work? I'll, I'll say it... this. The bold stroke of fully combining is no dumber than this loose partnership idea of playing a championship game. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you're going to go all in, go the fuck all in and make it so, A, it's harder for these teams individually to back out for some for greener pastures. And number two, get your media deal in place where you have that juggernaut in place. Because right, right now, what the SEC and what the Big Ten have that no other conference has is clout and firewalls. Yeah, they're they're not they're not going to get poached because of their clout and because of the firewalls that they have in place. And that's why when we talked last year about the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12, you know, look look them in the ideal, whatever the hell that shit was. I was Gentlemen like, no, nah, yeah. You, you gotta you, you gotta know that the Big Ten has the leverage in all of this shit. Like they're making the most money. If you're not if you're not putting something in writing, ACC Impact Twelve, you' about to get fucked. And what happened? They got fucked. Yeah, they got they, fucked. They, they, they be, been, they've been put on alert, and now somebody's got to do something. So either either you're going to slowly watch your conference crumble. True. Or lawyers eventually are going to get around. The, yeah, there's going to be a loophole in the in the grant of rights. At some point, the grant of rights firewall is going or, to get busted. Or the or the or the SEC or the Big Ten are just going to say, "Screw it." Well, for for the next five years, we'll just eat the seventy million, and we'll and pay and, and schools that already have the money to to do some of this stuff, they know long term they're going to come out better, so they might weather two or three years of short term pain. Well, I'm looking at FSU in particular. 
Well, because FSU that, can probably handle it. FSU. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. If you want me to be straight up with you, I mean, this is also a move, especially if the if Virginia Tech were to go to the Big Ten. This would be a move for not only athletics but academics. So the question is, would someone like um, Tim Sands be willing to go out there and say, you know, we're going to do this move with, and what we're going to do is we have an endowment, right? How much do you think the Virginia Tech endowment is? I do not know. <laughs> you it's might almost know. Two billion. It's almost okay. $2 billion. He might just say, we're just screw the grants of rights. We're going to, we're going to take care of ourselves because we're looking at this as a, not only a athletic move, but this is a massive move for our research university to be partnered with the big 10 school. Right. Yeah. And the question is how close are we to that AAU membership threshold? Um, You know, it's mostly based on the research side of things. Um, it's hard to get that threshold without a fully fledged medical school. Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to get there just because of how much research is done on that side of the the aisle. Um, but it's it's definitely possible. There are several schools, uh, Georgia Tech for one, that don't have a medical school that that are AAU schools. Um, but again, that threshold is much harder to meet without that that element. Um, how close we are, I, I could say. Uh, I know that was a goal of Sands when he took over um, was was to get Virginia Tech to AAU status, but we're not there. And I don't know how close we are, and I don't know if we've got enough time to get there before more of these dominoes start to fall. All right, so that will be, you know, some of the more interesting things. Um. We've already mentioned the firewall. The ACC does have the best, but I think eventually people will get around it and or universities will just say, we're going to eat it because long-term yeah. it's going to work for us. Yeah, of the, of the three conferences that are potentially getting poached, ACC has the best firewall, but they also have the one that probably should get broke. somebody's got a bite bullet. Yeah, <laughs> and <then> yeah. University. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, Pac-12 probably the the most poachable because right now they've got a expiring media rights deal. Um, so somewhere in the middle there is the Big 12. Yeah, well, the Big 12 had their Big 2 poached. I don't think anybody's poaching anybody out of the Big 12 yet. Not unless we're going, unless they're going to 24. All right, let, let, let's end it with this. Because we've already talked about what could happen to the ACC. Do you think the Hokies are safe one way or the other? Um, I don't feel 100% safe uh, just because I'm not sure if we're in a position where we're going to dictate the terms and be as proactive as we need to be to get this done. Um, that's my concern. I'm not saying that Wit isn't capable. I'm saying I don't know if yeah, I think Witt knows what needs what needs to happen. I don't know if if he can get us there. We'll see. Um because there's a lot of moving parts here, and I think he understands that, but I don't know if it comes down to the ACC isn't taking the steps we need to, if he's gonna push hard enough for that SEC offer. 
And I don't know if Sands is going to come off the money to take that if grant of rights is still in place. So yeah. there's still those pieces in place that, you know, potentially could hamstring a move to the SEC. And, you know, the fear is, and I think long-term, what's going to devalue Virginia Tech's brand more is not going to the SEC and having, you know, a few years where we're only winning four or five games. What's going to devalue Virginia Tech's brand is playing football that doesn't fucking matter. So we better not be in a situation where we get left behind. That's the big piece. It's the the getting left behind. And that's where in this situation, again, if, if, if the ACC is not trying to push buttons, trying to push hard to get essentially making itself not untouchable, but one of those conferences where you can't look away. That that's the, that's your issue, right? Yep. You don't want to be a conference that you can look away at. And right now, like the Big Twelve, think about it. You can look away. I don't think yep. the Pac twelve is there yet because I think yep. Oregon and UW and a couple of those schools can still hold your eye. Um. Also, luckily. You know, USC and UCLA have been just shit programs the last five years. They yeah. haven't been that good. So I don't um, want to be in a situation where our biggest matchups of the year are Wake Forest and Boston College and maybe Pitt. Oh, no. Oh, no. That, I don't want to be in that situation. That That's yeah. not what I that, that, that's not worth the, the, the price of admission. Uh, if, if we're not playing at number one games that matter against regional opponents, consistently i don't want it if if we're not playing for a conference championship that gives us the opportunity to make the college football playoff i don't want it i don't want conference games against odu and liberty and potentially down the road jmu i don't want that i virginia tech needs to play major college football Virginia Tech needs to play basically what we've dealt our whole entire fandom starting in the early 1990s. Big-time games all year long. And they have to make that decision right now between Whit Babcock, Sands, and even Jim Phillips of how are you going to keep this thing going? And if you're Virginia Tech and the ACC is not moving or they're moving at a slow pace, you just say, screw it. All right. Well, before we get into looking at the future ACC schedule, which might not be the future ACC schedule, (laughs) we are going to take a quick pause from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right. So before we actually hit the the, the schedule that was released, which you know we've got our own feelings about, there was an announcement ACC headquarters is moving from Greensboro to Charlotte. They've committed 15 million bucks. Um, let's just keep it in Greensboro and commit the $15 million to actually growing a conference and making sure you're alive in five years. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the hindsight of that, that move definitely is uh, bad optics for sure. 
<laughs> well, the only upside is now you at least have a major hub you can fly in and out of as you're trying to get these deals done. There's your upside right there. All right, so Brian, the big change that had been discussed and finally goes through. The ACC goes starting in 2023, so a really quick turnaround to a divisionless ACC. There is no yeah. more Atlantic. There is no more Coastal. Praise the Lord. We got rid of Coastal. Rest in peace, Coastal Chaos. Um, no, that that's after that's after January or after December. True. Yeah. Sorry, so, we're we're having we're having an early uh, we're having a send off party for the Coastal Chaos. We are we are currently in the wake of Coastal Chaos. Let's hope it's yeah. not Coastal Chaos this year. But you know, divisions are gone, which is great, and essentially the top two teams are going to play for the title, which you've got to love because if you can remember, everybody put your hats on. If you can remember back in the early part of the ACC when Virginia Tech came on, there were several years Virginia Tech was legitimately the second best team in the conference, but we didn't win the Coastal, so we didn't get to go play in the championship game. Um, In the same way as those couple years where like Miami was the second best, but we beat them and we got to go. So I like that just in general because you're likely going to get you know, either a an unbeaten, a one loss, and at worst a two loss team in the championship game, which is a pleasurable. Hopefully, the Hokies are there a lot. Pleasurable thing to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I like this better. You get you get the two best. I think that's important. Um, as you said, we've had several years, especially you know, early in the first you know seven to ten years that the Hokies were in the in the conference where. You know, we were the we were the second best team in the conference, and sometimes didn't play for the championship. Um, a lot of times, it, it, it takes that imbalance of the uh, of the divisions out of play. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that aspect of it. Uh, the matchups, uh, oh, there were some win, there were some wins and some losses with the with those matchups, though. Well, let's, let's talk about the big win. The big win is. Literally every four years, you're going to play every team home and away. Yep. Every four years. So that means every – basically every other year, we're either getting Florida State, Clemson, or Miami at home. Or Louisville at home. Obviously, UVA every other year. That's the big benefit. Because we had not played Clemson – we hadn't been to Death Valley since 06 or 07. Was it 07, the year just we scored like nine different ways and they're still trying to figure out what happened. They're still running down the hill the wrong way. Yeah. But we only played them at home, what, once? Twice? Twice in the I last? Think, I think twice. 11 and 17 or 16? That I sounds mean, right. Now you're, sounds talking, right. now you're talking about it every other year. Florida State, similar. And what does that do? Well, for the ACC, that gives you your prime brands playing each other all the time. Every year you get to circle matchups. For Virginia Tech fans, it's every year there is going to be a massive, massive game on campus, which that's, I mean, that in itself is a big deal because it's usually going to be a sellout, which, you know, for years it was. 
but you're going to have more eyes on Virginia Tech than a normal week. Because let's be honest, playing, not knocking, but playing Georgia Tech the first weekend in October at home versus playing Florida State is a hell of a lot of difference. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to some of these, uh, especially getting getting to see teams every other year. Um, that's big. That's big because that 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 hammers home, you know, the whole the market play that we're talking about. When you have divisions, a lot of times, you know, you, you when you try to recruit within that footprint, yeah, okay, they're on our schedule, but they're on our schedule. It may maybe sometimes once in in a in a in a recruit's entire time on campus. Like, yeah, that, that make that makes some of that a little bit difficult, especially you know for mm-hmm. those uh those cross division opponents, uh, whether it be Clemson. I know Louisville. We had a a big span where we didn't play them. Um, and they still haven't come to Blacksburg, have they? I don't think we so. We went up there back on COVID year, but they had not yeah. come to Blacksburg. And Syracuse' first time coming to Blacksburg was back in twenty one. Yeah, I mean that's asinine. That's asinine, and that goes away, thank God. But let's go to the one everybody wants to talk about: <laughs> the lock three, the locked three, you know, the lock three. And I think we all anticipated UVA. I, I think we all did. We knew we were getting UVA. We thought we were getting someone else that we didn't get. <laughs> and we thankfully, we, we didn't get somebody that we thought we might get. <laughs> we didn't get Miami. Instead, we get Pitt. Um, and then instead of BC, we got Wake. So as far as traveling for your every three-year game, you don't have to travel that far. But let me press this question to you, Brian. Do you think that we stood on the table so hard that we're not playing BC every year anymore? They jerked Miami away from us. Like I, I think that was the devil's bargain. I think I think we said we're not playing BC every year, and they said, all right, you're not getting Miami. Okay, well, um, hold on. Or did the person at the ACC office go on a bender and screw up Louisville and ours. Because if you look at theirs, I mean, that's... Yeah, G- GT, Miami, UVA. Yeah, I mean, that, that does sound like slightly more more VT aligned than, uh, than what we got. I mean, you know, you get... You get your you get your home state rival with with the, with what we got. You get your home state rival. You technically get your closest ACC uh, opponent, and then yes. you get a former Big East opponent. Opponent, and then you so and and the and the, and the closest former Big East opponent you get, and you get for a time there in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, probably one of the better ACC, um, one of the better ACC rivalries was the Tech Tech rivalry really from the early 2000s. You're okay with Pitt, but Wake should be Miami. Listen, everybody had a lay on the sword some way or the other. Well, maybe with the, eh, you know. But Flor- Florida State got this one, though. Right. <laughs> Brian, you, you We're, getting a, We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> you had a controversial opinion that some, you, people went at you hard when you basically said, say it. If it took losing Miami to get BC off our every year schedule, it was worth it. So be it. We will st- 
still play B. We will still play Miami two out of every four years. And I'll t- I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So number and it's not just I want to avoid a tougher opponent, but when you when you look at the games with BC, getting rid of BC is more important because BC is a zero benefit game for Virginia Tech. It's a big travel game. Whether you know whether we're going up there or they're coming to us, it's a it's a it's a big travel, and it's a game that for Virginia Tech, if we win it, we were supposed to, and if we lose it, we're ass. It's it's not a game but is that, it that the same with weight, but we're not traveling seven seven eight hours to do that. We're we're, we're going an hour <laughs> and a half on a bus. Okay, but it's still a loss to a lesser opponent. I mean, Brian, Brian says he doesn't care. Travel. But I think the other point we were talking about, the other thing about playing in Wake is we're playing in a prime recruiting ground. Yeah. That you can get kids from the 336, from the Charlotte area, and you can get them to come to that home game or that away game, which is going to be – the honest truth is the first away game at Wake, it's going to be about 40% maroon and orange. That Wake already knows that. That's probably – I think Wake stood on the table for us because I think Wake knew that if they could get Virginia Tech, they would have one game every two years that they were going to get full capacity. They were going to make a boatload of money off that game because they knew where they're located. A ton of Hokie fans will go to that game because it's going to be reasonably priced tickets, easy to get in, easy to get out. It's the one game – like when they play NC State, is yeah. probably the only other consistent game that they play mm-hmm. that they can pack the stadium like that. Yeah. Unless they're yeah. playing like a ranked opponent like Clemson or something like that. Yeah, 100%. But in, but in terms of throw rankings out the window, throw throw whatever the current records are out the window, Virginia Tech, when they play Wake, they're going to pack that stadium. And when NC State plays Wake, they're going to pack that stadium. True. I'm seeing Robbie put in here. He'd rather have the recruiting area in Miami. Well, we're going to be in Florida twice. We're going to be in Florida every year anyway, so between Florida State and Miami. So that is what it is there. All right, so who do you think got screwed in this scenario? Uh, Florida State. (laughs) I know I talked about earlier, but they got the shaft, buddy. Florida State out there playing Clemson, Miami, and having to go to the Carrier Dome every other fucking year is bananas. <laughs> I mean, is, is this just like a way they're going to keep Florida State down? Like, you guys are never going to come back. We're gonna we're gonna give you. Hey, just as just as Miami might be back with Cristobal, and not, yeah. you get you get that, you get a, a, you Clemson. know Clemson, and then you get to go to the Carrier Dome every other year. Which holy shit. Everyone knows ranked teams lose in the Carrier Dome. Clemson lost in the Carrier Dome during one of their playoff run years. Let's, let's we we took a shit in the Carrier Dome we in 2016. And, and years before that, that place is just terrible to play in. But, you know, you know who else I think kind of got a little shafted was Miami because they pawned Boston College off on Miami every year. Hey, yeah, so, yeah. Here hey, you're in that school furthest south? We're going to send you furthest north in the conference. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, And and same rules apply to them. It's a game that 
they get all that travel in, and if they win, they were supposed to, and if they lose, they shit the bed. Best part. Here's the best part about it. Miami is going to become the red bandana game for BC. Write that, mark it down right now. Miami will become the red bandana game for BC every year. Yep. So on a Friday night when they actually get 80% of the stadium to turn out and the crowd's electric, hey, here comes Miami. And they're a 14-hour flight from South Florida all the way up the coast. So, you know, I think they got screwed just as much. But looking at the rest, the rest it's pretty regionally balanced. Um, they really took care of the Carolina schools. Just, you know, I mean, North Carolina literally. I'm shocked. shocked. (laughs) Well, actually, Duke got even better. Duke literally doesn't have to leave the state. Um, North Carolina's furthest trip is up to UVA. So, but overall, you look at it, they they kept it kind of regional. They kept the northern teams all together. And as much as we want to get upset, Brian, you know, I don't think anybody else got truly screwed. It's either okay or best, like it's us, it's a push. Um, oh, man. But uh, I, I, do you feel like anybody got truly rewarded? Like, hey, here you go. I mean, maybe Duke is really the only one you can really say just because they are sticking 100% in state with their – it's Duke. But it's it's Duke. I mean, I don't know if that's going to really really matter. Um, I think B, BC kind of got fucked a little bit as well. If we're, if we're talking about another third, if you want to put in there with Miami, Pitt, and Syracuse, that that's it's it's regionally okay with them, other than Miami. But it's still that's a bad draw for a middle of the road ACC team. Um, yeah. You're supposed to beat Syracuse when you go to the Carrier Dome. You're supposed to compete with Pitt and lose to Miami. Yeah. In reality, is they're going to probably lose more than a few games in the Carrier Dome. <laughs> they're going to lose more than a few in the Carrier Dome, and they're probably going to lose most of those to Miami, Miami. and Pitt. So and, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could make the argument that maybe UNC got favorable because they got Duke instead of Wake. And you know they, they, they still get state. their they but got, they got state, state, but they, you you knew they were going to get state. But 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 the whole thing is, how many times have they played state? It's like they played state. It's twice. it's so few. It's so few considering how close they are. How close they are now. The bigger issue with the bigger issue with Carolina playing state is state probably going to wax them more than a few times because obviously I hope so. I hate you see. I hate UNC huh? so bad. I oh, hate UNC. I, I, I hope NC State puts puts the fucking screws to them. Well, I hope everybody can put the screws to them. All right, let, let's look here, Brian, future schedules. We looked at 23, 24, 25, and 26, and there is one schedule that just it, – it lit me and Brian's eyes up. And if you are there, go to the ACC page and go look at 2024. Because, man, I mean, so – you get Clemson at home. Awesome. We get Louisville at home, which I, I, I was kind of hoping we'd get Louisville instead of Pitt because at least their fan base, you know, they actually have a living, breathing fan base. I mean, when you <laughs> go to their games, it's not sparsely. It's like, you know, 
exactly a, a third field in the, in the Heinz Stadium. Yep. So Georgia Tech, Commonwealth Cup is at home that that year, and then even though these aren't the most exciting road games, Duke, Carolina, Pitt, and Wake Forest. If you are a Virginia Tech fan, if you wanted to purchase all ACC games this year, you would not have to step on a plane to go to those games. And you're getting the biggest dog at home. I would love to see when that game's going to be. But that's like, that's what we're talking about. You get Clemson at home in 2024. It's also going to be year three of Pry where we should start seeing some corner get turned. Yep. So, I mean, with, with that, with the combination of a somewhat weak and regional away schedule, mm-hmm. you get Clemson to where you can showcase what you got. You get UVA yep. at home, and your next toughest competition in the home schedule is Louisville. I, that's going to be a year where, where if the Hokies can turn turn a corner, they've got some potential to 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 really get, you know plus eight, plus nine, potentially 10 wins that year. Yep. And that's the biggie. But then you like look at like 2025, we're getting Florida State at home and we're on the road at Miami. Yep. 2026. And NC State. Yeah, and NC State. Miami at home, Clemson on the road. And, and, And this is really why it was done. Because... If you take a look at some of these schedules and, you know, look at like, uh, let's look at 2025 again and let's look at Florida State. They're playing Miami. They play Clemson, we know, and they play us. Those, that's three massive matchups. And we looked at ours already for 25, where it's Florida State and Miami and NC State on the road. What you're doing is for the ACC, when they do that schedule, you could literally schedule a significantly big matchup every single week all throughout the year and put your biggest brands in the best spots in spotlights, put your best traditions in spotlights, put your best stadiums in spotlights. That's why this was done. That's why it was done because you, because you, because you know, we saw what was it? 16 when we played Clemson, that game pulled like a three, nine, six. So almost 4 million people watched that game. And for an ACC team, that's huge. You know, the SEC usually pulls about six and a half on Saturday afternoons. To say you're yep. pulling four, that's that's a massive number. And now you're saying you're putting all these programs, and I think that's why we were left out. Because I think they know we draw eyes. And if you leave Miami off our schedule, Clemson, Florida State, and Miami are going to be constantly every year. And usually there's going to be two a year for one of the most passionate fan bases to play one of the biggest opponents. Very true. Go ahead, throw that, Very one, true. Throw that one up there. One of our yep. uh, Facebook watchers tonight, Jacob Yates, shout out. Yeah, and we had talked about that when we were going through because we yeah. said the the out-of-conference lined up pretty nicely too because the, the two toughest uh, out-of-conferences were at home as well that year. Yeah. Um, so it does, it does line up. Vandy's yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. yeah. That's you basically say that's going to be a 50 50 split at Nissan, yeah, out in Nashville. So, because we get what we get Rutgers and Marshall at home, and then it's Vandy and Nashville, ODU and uh, 
in Norfolk. So, so yeah, so significantly favorable that if if Pry can turn this around quick, um, you know, twenty twenty four could be a really big building year. But let's talk about this. What do you think? I've given you my opinion. What do you think this means for Hokie football and, and the prior era with this change? I think it's good because, again, you, you're talking about getting uh, games in the footprint more consistently. I think it's going to be a good recruiting tool. I think it's going to be good to not have to play the same opponents, as many same opponents every year. Um, that's going to help with, you know, in terms of scouting and things like that, it's going to be a little bit harder for, for folks to get a, a hold on what Virginia Tech's trying to do. So coaching will definitely separate the, the cream. And I'm, I think we got a good, a good set of guys on that front at this point. So, and I think the way that the schedule is lining up, especially for 2024 is really going to benefit um, that kind of turning point for prize. He's getting his guys in as he's gotten, the guys are already on campus established in the system. They they know the ins and outs. They know how to kind of run it like clockwork, right? So that's going to be that turning point year, I feel like. Um, and it comes at a time where our schedule is lining up to not only have some, some good marquee matchups, but also in terms of travel and strength to be, to be somewhat favorable as well. It's very true. And you know something else I was just thinking about here, 2024, because of the weird years of uh, the COVID years, you know who's still going to be eligible? Who's that? Grant Wells. Hey. Potentially a three-year starting quarterback in the year where everything's implemented, a guy who's shown some promise. Now, I'm, And we should have more guys to throw the ball to by then, too. Hell of a lot more guys. But my hope is Grant Wells isn't the quarterback in 2024 that he just lit it up in 2023 and we won 11 games a year ahead of schedule. <laughs> All right. So uh, the portal, no one else has left. No one else has entered. There's a lot of kids out there. Again, I feel sorry for them. If you have not, the Hardywood Virginia Tech tailgate event is 11 days away, 20 bucks for a ticket. I'm not sure if they're still on sale or not. I would assume they were the last time I checked, but you know, I don't, I don't know if they've gotten to a full house yet or not, but they were talking about selling, they were talking about selling, you know, tickets on day of events. So I don't, I don't think wherever they're having it, it's not like a capacity thing. You don't have a limitation freaking. I mean, me and you go there. We've been there, Brian. There is no limitation. You could have 6,000 people as big as an area that is. I don't know where they're going to park everybody, but Hey, you you work that out when you, you know, get there early. Get there really early. Speaking of, I've got to have a couple beers, hit the food trucks early. (laughs) Me and Brian can tell you, 20 bucks is pretty much the price of a beer there. You usually get a 16 ounce. It's usually somewhere between six and eight bucks. You leave a tip. The beer itself is worth the $20. Yeah. All the other stuff is a lot of fun. Um, Also, before we wrap up. Beer, you get snacks and you get to hear some coaches and potentially some players talk about some football and so. and a very good chance to meet them and interact with these guys up front. That's usually a lot of the Hokie club events. You pay that money, you get the interaction. And as we've seen Brent Pry and some of this other staff, I got a feeling if you walk up at them and start a conversation, they would carry it on with you. So that's awesome. Now, one last piece of information here, Brian, we wanted to do a shout out is, 
just a few days ago, our Twitter account, Boundary Corner, hit 1,500 followers. And for two guys who in the winter of 2020 decided to start doing this for fun because they texted and tweeted and talked about Toki football constantly, it was just supposed to be for fun. I never thought we'd get as many listens as we've gotten or this big on Twitter. So thank all y'all out there for this. Yeah. Um, we're still doing this because y'all are still listening. Y'all are still tuning in. Y'all are listening on the, on the apps. Y'all are supporting us and y'all are following us on social media, interacting with us and, and keeping this thing going. So um, as long as y'all are there out there listening, we're going to keep putting content out there and uh, we love doing it. And we, we, we hope that y'all are getting as much out of it as we are. Absolutely. And I know for us, you know, what's happened really the last couple of years too, um, you know, got more interconnected into Hokie Nation, made some new friends, um, had some good laughs and really looking forward, hopefully this year, getting back in the stadium. Um, I don't have a small, small child anymore. (laughs) Yeah, a little different when you got a small, small child. But uh, yeah, but we really appreciate you guys again, listening, following, interacting with us. Again, leave reviews, hit us up on when we're, you know, we're live. If you've got something you want to say, throw it in our chat. No, nope. shout out Jacob tonight. First time we've seen that name. Um, so, yeah, if you've got a good point, we'll throw it up there and we'll talk about it. All right, Brian, has anything happened? Has the ACC and the Pac-12 merged where we have to? <laughs> have to nah, and hopefully, hopefully the Big 12 doesn't poach those six teams they were talking about out the gate from the Pac-12 or, or the loose partnership. Is all is already is already you know folding, um, but I, yeah, I think we're good to go. <laughs> all right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on our YouTube account or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcast. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. And for Jason, for you guys down in the uh, Roanoke Valley area on July 20th from 5 to 7, he's going to be playing at Crystal Springs Grocery Pop-Up Market in Roanoke. And on August 6th from 6 to 9, he is going to be in outer space from at in Floyd County. He's also going to be playing the Roanoke uh, Volleyball Club's Uh, after party this weekend so if anybody's involved with that our buddy will be out there providing the entertainment always catch him on spotify and apple music and he might be having some more new music coming out soon so oh yes yes he i think he had a session the other day so we might have some more releases from jason very soon yeah definitely check the new one out uh old man yelling at the tv and brian we always thank our our fans for listening and as always let's go Okies! Okay.